Good morning. How's everybody? Good? Good. Okay, I got a, I got a funny story for you from this week. Um, so I go to donut country more than um, I should go quite a bit. Yeah. So here's a story within a story real quick. So I'm proud to say the owners of Donut Country attend church here. This is where they come to church. And I remember the first time I found this out, it was like you found out a famous movie star attended your church. This, this is a true story. It was on a Saturday night. I, I think they come on Saturday. And, and um, I was walking off the stage and Kyle goes, those are the owners from Donut Country. And I was like, oh my gosh. You can ask, Chris, you can ask Christy that owns Donut Country. I ran back there and like fangirled. Like I was like, oh my gosh, can I, you know, can I meet you? And so glad you come to church here and I've been buying your donuts for 20 years and you know, the whole nine yards. That's a true story too. And um, anyway, so I, I, I go to donut country quite a bit and I walked in the other day and I had my nine-year-old with me and we go in, it's like the afternoon because you know, donuts are good at any time. And uh, we go in in the afternoon and, and this really sweet girl was working there and she goes, oh, hey guys. And she goes, what can I get for you? And, and um, she pulls out this little saucer for, for my nine-year-old, right? Picked out the donut, put the donut on the little saucer. And then, and then she goes, and what can I get you? And she reaches over and she pulls out a, a much, much bigger plate. <laughs> and I stopped and I was like, why'd you grab that plate? Why, why, why'd you? I was giving her a hard time. And she got a little red and she goes, oh my gosh. She goes, don't tell the entire church this weekend that I made a fat joke about you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, hey, it's cool. You're, you're totally safe with me. I'm, I'm, it, you know, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so next time you go to donut country, make sure you tell Samantha hello. She's a really sweet girl. <laughs> she comes to church here as well. Uh, yeah, she was awesome. She was a great sport. So, okay, all that being said, we are wrapping up 1 Corinthians. We've been in this book for a while and it's kind of bittersweet when you wrap up a book of the Bible. Um, we've been walking through this for quite some time, four or five months now, somewhere in that ballpark. And if you haven't been here with us, this is a letter. But almost all of the New Testament is a series of letters and most of them written by Paul. Paul wrote this letter to a small church because all the churches at this time were small. In about 54 to 56 AD, it was a small church in Southern Greece. And the reason why this book of the Bible, even though it's 2000 years old almost, has been so relevant to us lately is, is we're essentially repeating the exact same mistakes as these Christians were 2,000 years ago. Now, listen, this church back then was in an area that was very, very prosperous, oddly enough, in a city about the size of Murfreesboro. It's about 200,000 people. Um, they were prosperous. They had freedom. They had access to the Word of God. They had access to good, good leadership, Christian leadership, and they professed to be believers. The problem was, is they had turned away from following the Word of God and they were instead following the word of their culture. They were more concerned about what was culturally accepted and popular than they were about the teaching of the word of God. And because of that, all these problems ensued, and that's what this letter was written for. Now, we are coming to the conclusion of this letter. We're in the very last chapter. Last week, Mike did a phenomenal job closing out chapter 15. I did the first half, he did the second half. And chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. Because we're coming to the end of this letter, Paul's kind of like bringing out just, just the big overarching things he wanted to talk about. And the resurrection, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, this is what it's about. Our entire faith is built on the resurrection. Not just Jesus's resurrection, that because he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. Right, And so everything kind of hinges on the resurrection. And that's what Mike talked about last week. This week, very short chapter, extremely easy to understand. We will get through it pretty quickly. Very, very easy. But what we're gonna find out in, in, in this chapter, and you find it out a lot in the Bible, is that Christianity is not complicated. Christian principles are not complicated. It is not the principle that is complicated. And, or, or what's difficult, it is actually living those things out that gets difficult sometimes. It's not hard to understand, but sometimes it's hard to do. Like when Jesus said, love God, love people. That's it, right? That's life in a nutshell, or it should be. It's easy until you meet people. And then it gets a little complicated, does it not? So here's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna ask ourselves if we are living responsibly, responsibility, and we're also gonna talk about, are we living holy? Which means living to the standard that God wants us to live by, right? Responsible and holy. 
That's what we're gonna focus on today, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything I'm gonna say will be in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. If you didn't get a notes handout, if you have a Bible, right after the book of Romans, you have 1 Corinthians. We're at the very, very last chapter of that. We'll start 1 Peter here in a couple of weeks. That's gonna be a blast. That's a wonderful book of the Bible. And um, what else am I leaving out? The app, if you don't have the app, just download that, click on sermon notes. You got everything right there, okay? Glad you guys are here. Let me pray. We'll jump into this. Very practical, very easy to understand, not too complicated, okay? Good stuff today. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's in this room. Thank you for the freedom we have, God. Thank you for the prosperity that we've got to enjoy, Lord, and, and just the fact that we're able to come in here, worship you freely, laugh, break open the word of God and study it, Lord. Thank you for that. So Father, I pray that you keep your hand on our church this morning. Not just this church, Lord, every church in our city. Pray that you keep your hand on our other campuses and the churches in those cities. And I pray, God, that everything we do this morning as we read your word and study it, God, I pray that it honors you and I pray that it brings us closer to you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna read a little bit. Again, short chapter, guys, easy, and um, we'll talk about it, okay? This is what Paul writes. Now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they'll travel with me. Okay, so when Paul opens up with now about this, that shows us that he's answering a question. Obviously, this church had written him some questions. They were confused about some stuff, so he's gonna answer some of their questions. The first thing that he addresses is financial giving to the church, which I know is always kind of awkward for, for at least me, a guy who I get my paycheck from you guys, right? to get up here and talk about giving, but it's important. And so Paul taught all the churches all around the world that they are to give, the Christians are to give to the work of the, the ministry. So Paul condones that it's okay for people like me to take a salary, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with having full-time ministry, but that should be a very small part, and we've gotten this backwards in the United States, of what the finances of the church is to go to. The majority of the finances of the church, your hard-earned money, needs to go to advancing the gospel and being benevolent to those who are in need. At this church, and I'm just saying this for transparency, and we do this twice a year at Vision Services, about 28% of our church's income goes towards staff, right? Staffing people, benefits, having police officers here on the weekend, childcare, all that stuff. That's about 28%. 30% goes towards benevolence and the needy, and the other 42% or so goes towards advancing the gospel, planning churches, doing different ministry things that we do. And I think that's the way it should be. So this is what Paul is laying out. And he gives them some very simple instructions on giving. So Paul said this was to happen at church. So when churches, like we have the little giving boxes around the room, and of course nowadays you can give online and stuff like that, that is supposed to be a part of the worship experience. And he says, each of you should give, right? In accordance to how you are prospering. And so what, what we learn here is that Christianity and generosity cannot be separated. These two things are married. As Christians, we're to understand that we've been blessed, right? So we are to bless other people. And we're all, we're all called to contribute something, especially in a land like the United States where we have been remarkably prosperous. And so here's what we have a tendency to do though in the United States, because we're humans, right? And this, we just do this sometimes. We compare ourselves to other people around us. Well, I don't drive as nice of a car as so-and-so. I don't live in as nice of a house as so-and-so. And well, I'm not as prosperous as this person and we compare ourselves. Now listen, we can do that here and maybe we're not as prosperous as other people. But if you take us as Americans and compare us to the people of the world, we're doing better than about 80% of them. We're, we are the richest nation on planet Earth, the most prosperous people on planet Earth. And because we've been so blessed, we should want to bless others the way we have been blessed. 
And so Paul says, listen, this is, this is also kind of an interesting thing he says. He says, when I show up, we shouldn't have to take up a special offering for the needy. So there was a famine going on at this time when Paul was writing this. That's why he's taking money from more prosperous areas and giving it to less prosperous areas because they couldn't afford to eat. And Paul says something interesting. He says, when I get there, you should already have the money. It should all, we should already be giving and being responsible in our saving as a church that we shouldn't have to take up a special offering. Now, here's the thing. On this church, if you've been coming here for any length of time, I have never, not one time, made you sign a pledge card, had a little thermometer where we're raising money for anything. We have never asked you for anything like that, for building stuff or for the work of the ministry. When we highlight different nonprofits, we may have a goal, but I'm gonna go ahead and like let the cat out of the bag we already have a lot of that money set aside. And so if something traumatic were to happen or tragic, like a, a tornado comes through Murfreesboro, this church, and this is you guys because you're extremely benevolent, I don't have to get up here and say, hey guys, let's, let's raise money right now. We got it in the bank because we should be responsible enough. And if we just stay out of debt, which this church is, we will have those funds to do those things. That's what Paul is saying. And so here's the thing. Our culture, American culture, rarely honors God in how we use our money. Rarely, rarely, rarely. And this should not be the way Christians handle their finances. As Christians, we must strive to be appreciative of what we have. Guys, we are blessed, right? I'll be that guy. If you have breath in your lungs right now and blood in your veins, that's more than we've ever earned. God has been gracious to give us that. We need to be appreciative we need to be balanced. That means, listen, there is nothing wrong with success. We have a tendency in the United States to demonize people who have success. And that's not right. In fact, it's a 10 commandment, not to envy or covet what your neighbor has. There's nothing wrong with success as long as that's done in balance. If you're taking care of your responsibility to, to the church and to benevolence, if you're taking care of your spouse and your, and your family and you drive a nice car, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car or or having a nice home or wearing nice clothes. Nothing wrong with any of that as long as it is balanced with you keeping up with your other responsibilities. And again, we are called to be responsible with our finances. Make a budget, make sure, hold on a second, make, strap your seatbelts in, spend less than you make, right? And, and, like, and if you do that, you'll have a savings account. The Bible even says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his grandchildren. That we're to be responsible. And then all of these things lead us to the ability to be generous. And these things honor Christ. So oftentimes in church, and people fight about this all the time about tithing. If you've never heard of tithing, that's giving 10% of your income for the work of the church, right? For the ministry. Now, if you get into the New Testament, I cannot show you in the New Testament that it is a heaven or hell issue if you tithe, give 10% of your income to the church or not. I, I, that's, I don't believe it's a heaven or hell thing. But... You cannot separate benevolence and Christianity. We are all called to participate in this. So that's biblically speaking. Let me tell you personally, Corey Trimble, this is me talking, right? I do personally believe that 10% should be a standard for all Christians. I have always lived by that. My staff lives by that. My elders live by that. Besides that, I do not check anyone at this church if they give or don't give. I don't care to know. That's between you and God. But I will tell you this. When Paul talks about giving, his backdrop for teaching on giving is Malachi chapter three, which speaks about tithing. And I'm gonna tell you this from a personal note. I have always lived on 90% better than I've ever lived on 100% of my income. When I trust the Lord, people who are clapping, you know, because you've seen God work in your life. Listen, here's the thing about tithing. It has nothing to do with money. It's all about the posture of our heart. God knows if we can let go of money, we can probably let go of everything. If we live open-handed, God will help you. He will bless you. And that goes beyond just money. And it helps shape your heart to be more like God's, right? So that's just my two cents on tithing or my 10 cents. That was good, huh? See what I did there? <laughs> I missed that in the other three services. That was actually pretty good too. <laughs> I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia for I will be traveling through Macedonia and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. 
I don't wanna see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a wide door for effective ministry has opened up for me, yet many oppose me. If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has the opportunity. Now, if you're just reading that, you're probably like, okay, this is kind of boring. This is just Paul's plans, right? Why is this important to us? There's actually quite a bit more there. The first thing is, we know through reading the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul was getting resistance from some of the people in the church in Corinth. If he was getting resistance from the Christians, some of them, he was probably getting resistance from outside of the church too. So Paul lays out very detailed plans to help it be less chaotic when he gets there. So when he shows up, they were expecting him, everything's in order. Get this, planning makes less chaos. So that's what he was doing. He also mentions that he wants to spend some time with them face to face. This is important. Look at what Paul is doing. Paul's saying, I just don't wanna meet you in passing. I don't just wanna send you letters. I don't just wanna text something to you because we have tension. Paul says, I actually wanna talk about our, dis our, our disagreements face to face. This is just a good word of wisdom for, for all of us who are adults, right? If you have tension, especially with another believer, do not text about it, do not email them, sit down like a big boy or a big girl face to face and talk about it, talk about it. There is something different about looking into someone's eyes and having a conversation. And Paul says, I wanna look into your eyes. I wanna talk to you about it, not just over these letters, right? We also see that Paul was sensitive to the spirit. So it's interesting, Paul has this really detailed plan. I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna go here, I'm gonna do this. Then he also says, but I'm gonna wait a little longer in Ephesus because some opportunity to spread the gospel has opened up here. So look at this. Though he prepared, though he had a plan, though he communicated clearly, he also was listening to God if he had to do an audible, if he had to go a different way. And what this shows us is something we've been talking about for months in here. When we worship God, we're to worship God in truth, which means with our brain, right? We're to plan, we're to strategize, we're to think about things, right? We're to be level-headed, we're to worship God in that way. We're also to worship God with our hearts, with the spirit, with our emotion, with how we feel, the supernatural. So it's both. Yes, we plan, we prepare, but we also listen to the spirit. We're also fluid, right? So we can move where the spirit wants us to go. That's what Paul did. And then Paul talks about two of his protégés. I don't know if anyone else is a nerd like this. Whenever I read the Bible, I try to picture what people would look like, right? When you read about them, you're like, what do they, what do they look like, right? And you try to picture them. Um, Timothy is kind of an odd, odd individual that the Bible talks about. Uh, he was a missionary. He eventually became a pastor. And Paul obviously loved this kid a lot. He was always worried about him. And, 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 you know, like, take care of Timothy, make sure Timothy's okay. There's two whole books of the Bible written about Timothy for Timothy. Like, like Paul was really concerned about this kid's future. And it looks like he had uh, some decent reason to be. Timothy was young, he was shy, and he was kind of a sickly kid. <laughs> the Bible says all three of these things, which is why Paul kind of worried about him, right? He was kind of like this little, you know, squirrely, awkward kid that ended up doing amazing things for the kingdom of God, which is kind of cool, right? And then you have Paul's other protege, which is Apollos, who is the exact opposite of Timothy. Um, this is like, uh, what's his name in Pretty in Pink that drove the Corvette or the, uh, the Porsche, right? Can't remember his name. Like wore like the white sports coat and you know had the really feathery hair. That's like Apollos. That's the worst example I could possibly think of. I love John Hughes movies though. So there you go. Anyways, so Apollos was like the good-looking, charismatic, everyone liked him, everyone gravitated, you know, everything came easy for Apollos. 
And this is probably why Paul mentioned Apollos earlier in the book of Corinthians. He even says, we don't worship Peter, we don't worship Paul, we don't worship Apollos, because Apollos was probably a really easy guy to kind of idolize, right? To kind of lift up and wow, there's Apollos. And so what we see though is, is not only can God use every kind of person, we have to be careful, right? If we're more like a Timothy or if we're more like Apollos, we can easily, if we're a Timothy, we can easily self-deprecate and think we're not good enough. And that's a lie. Or we can be like Apollos and think that, you know, it's because of me that I'm so famous, right? It's because of me that I've done this. And it's not, it's because of God. So we have to find that sweet spot right in the middle of a Timothy and Apollos, if you will, right? That kind of true humility that's confident in who we are, but we're not arrogant. We know that it's all because of God. Interesting how, how the Bible lays those two men out. We also see from the conclusion of this letter that preparation and planning does not quench the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we live a, a planned and prepared life, it actually opens up room in our life for God to work. If I work in such a way to where it frees up maybe an hour of my day to pray and read the word of God, that gives God the space in my life to do more. I don't know if anyone else was like this. I was saved in a very charismatic church and they almost looked down on preparation. If someone built a PowerPoint and like a strategic message, or like, oh, I guess Corey doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit. I do, I just do on Monday and Tuesday, right? I don't do it 30 minutes before I get up here in front of thousands of people. And so God can work throughout the week too, I, I think, right? And so planning and preparation doesn't quench the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing, I hope you appreciate this because I was very proud of this, the part in blue. We will plan and prepare for what we truly care about. For instance, if I say I love Jesus more than everything, right? Or if I'm a parent and I say it's more important for me to raise my children in the way of God than anything else, but I spend two or three hours a day working on their swing for batting and their catching, and I teach them all the principles of baseball or basketball or football or whatever, and listen, I'm not against sports, guys. But if I pump all this time, money, and energy into them being a good athlete, but I've never taught them the word of God, I really don't care as much about them being a Christian as I say I do. We will plan and prepare for what we care about the most, right? What we value. And in our own lives, if we say we're a Christian, that means that Jesus is our first love that we follow. And so we should prioritize. There's nothing anti-spirit about you blocking off 30 minutes of your day to pray putting it in your calendar, reading the word of God, being at church on a weekly basis. There's nothing non-spiritual about that. That's a very spiritual thing. It shows that it's a priority in our life, okay? Last part. This is where Paul finally gets a little, a little preachy. He says, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Brothers and sisters, you know the house of Stephanus or Stephanus, they are the first fruits of Achai and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I am delighted to have Stephanus or Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus present because these men have made up for your absence for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. The churches of Asia, that's modern day Turkey, send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on them. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in the name of Christ Jesus. So what Paul does here at the end is he is wrapping up this letter and he's not teaching them like systematic deep theology and doctrine. It's not what he's doing. What Paul does at the end of this letter is he gives kind of a 30,000 foot view of how the Christian is supposed to live. Now, I said this at the beginning of the lesson. Christianity in principle is not complicated. Love God, love people. 
Easy, right? A little bit harder to do. It is hard in practice. Why? Because we're under tremendous pressure all the time. We are under tremendous pressure. We are ridiculed for our faith at times. We are tempted by things all over the place in this world. It's hard sometimes. So what Paul tells him is this. We are simply instructed, says every single Christian, to be alert, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous, to be strong, and to do everything with love. That's how we live as Christians, right there in a nutshell. Simple in principle, not always easy in practice. Now, here's the thing. This is very important. If you and I are to be alert, if I'm going to tell you to look out, I need to tell you what to look out for. You have to know what to be looking out for. If I tell you to be firm in your faith, I have to educate you on what your faith is. This is what I'm getting at. It is impossible to know what to look for and it is impossible to stand firm in our faith if we are not reading the word of God. Because this tells us what to look out for, what to avoid, what to get away from, how to protect our children, our marriages, our culture, our society. It tells you that. It also tells you what our faith is. And there are so many people, Christians, Christians, that post stuff online that is so theologically not biblical but the problem is, is they have never read that book. And so everyone's got their theological meme that they find that comes from nothing in the Bible. The only way to be alert, the only way to stand firm in our faith is by the word of God. We have to read the word of God. The only way that we are to be courageous and strong, to be able to weather the storms of this life, to not cave, right? Is that we must pray, we must talk to God on a regular basis. And listen, when I say talk to God, this may be weird for some of you, open your mouth and speak to him. Get in your car alone or go to a closet or whatever you gotta do. Talk to God and then listen to God. Pray to God, listen to God. That's how we're courageous and strong. And then the way we truly love is a culmination of both of those things. We have to know the definition of love, which is defined in the Bible, not the perverted, bastardized American version of love that you're getting fed all the time. We need to know real love, right? And only by the word of God, and here's the thing, because people are tough, the only way we can truly show biblical love is by having the God of love in our hearts. We cannot truly love people unless God is in us because it says in the word, he is love. And it is only by his power that we can love other people in a real biblical way that blesses them. Paul also says that we are to respect authority. We suck at this in the United States. We don't respect anybody. We don't respect the government. We don't respect the police. We don't respect the fire department. We don't respect teachers. We don't respect the church. We don't respect our parents. We don't respect our neighbor. We respect nobody in our culture. There is so little honor in our culture, and that's very anti-Bible. And what Paul does is he's talking about church leadership, and he mentions several different people in several different families, right? from Fortunatus to, he mentions Aquila and Priscilla who are a married couple and they mentored Apollos and most people think they, they actually mentored Paul as well. And what Paul says is, because these people have come before you, because they have sacrificed for you, because they had, they've laid the foundation for you to walk on, honor them, respect them, right? I'm so big on respect. And I think as a Christian, we should be big on respect. I'm one of those old school weirdos that says things like, yes, sir, still, and no, ma'am. I'm one of those people. I, even, I think I've told this story before. When I was getting my black belt in Taekwondo, I'd have to do push-ups on my knuckles. And every time I didn't say, yes, sir, coming up, I would get kicked in the ribs. So it got to where like a 10-year-old would be like, hey, pastor. And I'm like, hello, sir. And I'm like, oh, you're 10. Right? I just do it, right? I'm always looking for my Taekwondo instructor to kick me in the ribs if I don't. And so it was good to just learn stuff like that. Respect, respect. Paul also says that you're not alone. If you have not been here for 1 Corinthians, man, Paul beat up on them pretty bad in this letter. You know what I was thinking last week? They would read these letters out loud to the entire church when they got them. If you were with us for like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6, and 7, when Paul talks about the dude that was sleeping with his mother-in-law or his stepmother, imagine if you were that guy, right? Hey, we got this letter from Paul. 
<laughs> Dude in the back's like, oh gosh, right? There's me. So, so Paul wanted to end this letter with encouragement. And he reminded them, he said, you're not alone. There are Christians in, in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. There are Christians in Rome. There are Christians all around Greece, basically all the known world. And they're praying for you. Not only praying for you, that, that they're financially supporting you. If you need anything, they got your back. And this is how the church is supposed to be today. That if, that if other churches agree with the majors of, of, of the doctrine, the Christian doctrine as we do, we should partner with churches. We should support other churches. It's what we've done in the world right now is we have all these little tribes and that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be one tribe, right? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ and we need to be working towards that. We need to be striving to do that more because we're not alone. And Paul even puts it in the context of like, we're family, we're family. That if you see another brother or sister in Christ, he says, greet them with a holy kiss. And this gets taken way out of context and people think it's super weird. It's not super weird. It's, it was a cultural thing. I put on here, think Italians, right? And, and what I mean by that is, um, I'll tell you a story. So my wife's Italian. My wife's maiden name is D'Onofrio. My father-in-law is Donato D'Onofrio. His brother is Dino D'Onofrio. They're all from New York. They're very Italian. And I remember right after my wife and I got married, I think we had our little girl, I was invited to a family reunion in New York. It was the Dilibertos, the Lasitos, the D'Onofrios, and me. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I went up to upstate New York in the Elmira area. We went up there and um, it was overtly Italian. They're all eating all this Italian food and cannolis and they're all playing bingo and they're all making fun of each other and saying things that I just didn't get because I'm not from Italy and they're all doing all this stuff. And I remember I met my wife's cousin, Jack, who's he's about 20 years older than us, Jack Diliberto. And um, Jack runs over to me, never met me before, but I just got married into the family and he grabs me by the face and just starts kissing me all over my face, right? Which is culturally not something I'm used to. But here's why Jack did that. Jack knew virtually nothing about me, but he knew that I was family. And he wanted to welcome me as warmly as he could. What Paul is saying is, if you run into another true believer, that's your brother, that's your sister. Now I know in the South, we don't think that's a big deal because everyone claims to be a Christian, whether we live like it or not. But I'm gonna tell you what, if you go up to Boston, Massachusetts or Salem, if you go up to Burlington, Vermont, or Albany, New York, if you're sitting somewhere in a coffee shop and you find out someone's a Christian, you're like, buddy, what's up, man? Like, and you talk because you're the only ones in there. And it's very, very different. This is what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, don't forget that we're all in this together. Don't forget that this is family. Don't forget that we're all fighting for the same thing, right? That's what he's getting at. And then Paul ends on a really, really odd comment. He says, if you don't love Jesus, there's a curse on you, basically. You're, you're cursed. This is an odd thing to kind of end this letter on. Paul understood this, that when they got this letter and they opened it up and they were reading it to the church, Paul understood that there would be people who would, listen, who had crept into the church who were there to divide, to gossip, to slander, to bring bad theology, or maybe even to physically hurt. So what Paul was throwing in at the end of this letter is, hey, I love you all. We're all in this together. Greet each other with a holy kiss. But if you're coming in to divide, hurt, slander, tear apart, Paul is saying, you're not welcome. So here's the thing. Paul was a shepherd. And Paul understood as a shepherd, the only way a shepherd deals with wolves is he removes them from the flock. And it goes the same, or it should go the same with churches today. Listen, let me tell you something. These doors are open to anyone that wants to hear the truth. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you identify as. I don't care what your background, nothing. I do not care. If you are looking for the answers to why you exist, everyone is welcome into these doors. Unless you are trying to bring something in here that divides or hurts the church body. At that point, I say, you're not welcome. Because listen, I'm not, this doesn't sound weird. I am called to be the shepherd of, of this church. And I love you guys, even if I don't know you personally, if you're looking for the answers and, 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 and we're in this together, like I love you and I'm here to protect you and I, I gotta protect 
the, the, the congregation, that no wolves can come into this place. So we are called to look out for anyone that would divide or hurt the body. So here's the thing, and this doesn't just wrap up this chapter, this wraps up the book of 1 Corinthians. These couple of things we're gonna talk about. The first one is this. If you are a Christian in this room, we are called to be responsible. Now this verse right here is talking about finances, but it goes way beyond finances. Look at how brilliant this scripture is. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless certainly becomes poor. This goes with everything. It, with your finances, if you are reckless, if you spend more than you make, right? If you don't prepare, if you don't budget, if you become materialistic, you're gonna end up not having much, right? You're gonna end up getting foreclosed on, you're gonna end up going into bankruptcy. It's not gonna be good, right? If you're reckless with these things, and this is the state that America is in right now. But if you make a budget, if you live within your means, right? If you're careful about how you spend, you, you will eventually accumulate some wealth. That's very simple stuff. But this goes far beyond finances. This goes with your marriage. If you are reckless with your relationships, you're gonna burn bridges. If you're reckless with how you raise your children, they're gonna grow up and get wild, right? If we are not cautious, if we are not diligent, we're gonna have broken marriages, broken families, broken finances, whatever the case may be. But that's not the way we're called to live. Here's the thing. God has a plan for you and I, Jeremiah 29, 11. And if God has a plan and we're made in the image of God, we should have a plan. We are not accidents. You are made on purpose. You are designed by God on purpose. And we are to live intentionally and responsibly. And we should live in such a way to where it opens up room for us to hear the word of God, to be able to decipher God's will for our lives, right? Live on purpose, live responsibly. We are called to live responsibly. In fact, self-control is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that we are to live a life of self-control and discipline. Not only does that honor God, it makes our lives a lot better when we have self-control, and it also is a great witness to the world around you. Practically speaking, I'm talking practically, logically speaking, if you're at your work, right, and everyone else's, their marriages are falling apart, their families are falling apart, their finances are falling apart, and then you're in the middle of that, right? And, and, and you have a little bit in your savings account, you know, you're, you're, you're able to like take your wife and your kids on a vacation, you're, you have a good relationship with your spouse, you're, you're raising your kids in a way to where they're doing well in life and they're respectful. People will see that and go, man, how do you have it together? How are you living like this? And then that opens up the door for you to say, these are all biblical principles. These are all things that come from the word of God. This self-control, this discipline that leads to a responsible, more content life. But it starts with our spiritual life. Simply put, are we intentionally doing our faith? Are we intentionally blocking off time to pray? Are we intentionally blocking off time to listen to God, to read the word of God, to be around the people of God? I don't care what anyone says you need to be at church. Whenever people say, oh, I don't think you need to go to church, these are people who usually make huge mistakes and their lives become train wrecks when they're not around good people, right? You have to be around good people. We're called to be responsible. And if we're responsible, responsibility leads to generosity. We are called to be generous. We cannot separate generosity and Christianity. The two cannot be divorced. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. How we use our resources, our time and our money will really show the state of our heart. Well, how do you say that? Jesus said, where your treasure is, it's where your heart's gonna be too. That goes back to the fact, listen, I'm gonna be mean here for a second. I'm not trying to be mean, but this may be the best thing you hear. If you're a parent in here and you drive a $40,000 car, but you have not set anything aside for your children's future, you care more about your car than you do about their, their, their future. Well, how do you say that? It's where your time, money, and energy goes. And you, you can think I'm a jerk for that. You can say whatever you want. I'd rather drive a $5,000 car and be able to help put my kids through college than to drive the nicest car in the neighborhood. And so it, 
Our, where our time, money, and energy goes really does show the state of our heart. When we say we love the, 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 when we say we love Christ and the church more than anything, right? But we don't serve, we don't give, we don't do anything. It's just not true. What we've become in the United States is a bumper sticker generation, haven't we? We think that if we, let's just take a cause that's not Christianity. Let's say I really care about the white Bengal tiger, right? And I don't want the white Bengal tiger to go extinct. If I get a bumper sticker and put that in my car, that does nothing for the white Bengal tiger, nothing. People are like, oh, wow, they like white Bengal tigers. Has not stopped the progression of the white Bengal tiger becoming extinct. Now, if I give my time to the Nashville Zoo and I go down to the zoo and I actually volunteer and help with the white Bengal tiger, right? And get involved with the zoologist there, that, that does. If I give money to the Nashville Zoo or to some kind of cause that helps preserve the white Bengal tiger, that does something. But just me wearing a shirt or putting a sticker on my car doesn't change the world. It doesn't do anything. We actually have to use our resources and get behind the things we're passionate about. This is what Jesus was saying. And here's the thing, in the United States, we have been so blessed, so blessed. Are we appreciative of what we have? I drive a 2007 RAV4. If you drive a RAV4 in here, I'm just gonna tell you, there's nothing sexy about a RAV4. Good, dependable car. I, love, I have no problems with it. I really like it, right? There's like, not, when you pull up in a RAV4, no one's like, man, nice RAV4 you got. It never, it's never happened to me, right? <laughs> and so because I can get a little materialistic sometimes, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I drove a newer car. I wish I drove something a little cooler, right? Maybe some kind of sporty sedan or something now. And, and, and I remember one time I was in Uganda, Africa, and we were on the main highway. There's not many of them up there. I was on the main highway in a caravan of like these, these dignitaries, governors, whatever they were, and ambassadors drove by. You're talking about the richest people in the whole country. And they were all driving RAV4s just like mine. <laughs> Everything's relative, isn't it? Right? We often forget just how blessed we are. Are we appreciative for what we have? Are we balanced in how we live, right? Are we generous towards the work of the church? Are we generous towards those in need? We're called to be responsible. We're called to be generous and we're called to be holy and we're called to be purposeful. This is the preachiest I'm gonna get to you today. We are saved by God's grace. None of us were saved by our works. We are saved by God's grace, but we were not saved by God's grace so we can continue living the same way Jesus found us. Let me tell you what I'm so tired of in church in the United States. I'm so tired of quote unquote Christians using grace as an excuse to continue living in sin. It is not biblical. It is not biblical. In fact, Paul talks about this. He said, should we sin more so grace abounds? Paul says, absolutely not. In Romans chapter six, he says that the old, old self has been crucified and there is a new way of living. We are called to live by a high standard. How? It's made clear the standard we're to live by in the word of God. We don't read that as much as we should. And it is made possible by the Holy Spirit of God. We are called to live, the Bible says, as a peculiar, holy people. And the only way that is possible is to know the standard by which we're to live and to have a relationship with God and be full of his spirit so we are capable of living in such a way. The thing is though, is we're not doing this alone. We have a big family. You right now are sitting in the least judgmental group of Christians you will ever be around. Wonderful people in this room, a very, uh, very welcoming body that we're in. We have the church community that encourages us, that holds us accountable, that is looking out for us. We're not in this alone, but we are called to live at a high standard. And now more than ever, listen, I'm only 42 years old. I'm not that old. But in my 42 years, in my 42 years, I cannot recall a time where we have had to be as alert as we are right now. And unfortunately, in America, we become more and more intoxicated. We're intoxicated by everything. Everyone's smoking weed, everyone's getting drunk, everyone's intoxicated with affirmation and fame and fortune and all the bull crap of our culture. And we're not thinking straight, we're not sober-minded. We're not standing firm in our faith. 
because we're doing exactly what the Corinthian church has done. We've moved away from the wisdom of the word and we've bought into this wisdom of the world and it is not working. And we need to know what to be alert for. And that's only possible by, by reading the word of God. It is only possible to stand firm in the faith when we know what our faith is. And if you're getting your theology from memes on Facebook, don't. Read this book. We must be courageous and strong. The only way that is possible is by prayer and by meditation. When I say meditation, I don't mean Eastern philosophical meditation. I mean, get alone and the Bible says, think on good things. Think on the things of God. And we must do all things with true biblical love. We must be a welcoming environment, right? That also is alert to people who will come in and divide the body. We cannot allow that. Your family, listen, all of your families in here, you need to be a welcoming household, but you need to be careful who your kids are around. You need to be a welcoming household, but you need to be careful about the voices that speak into your family because they're divisive, some of them. And you need to be cautious. Do you know what Jesus said? We need to be shrewd as snakes or vipers, shrewd as snakes, but as harmless as doves. That means very wise, very quick to react because we have wisdom in us, but also innocent to sin. We don't engage in sin. We don't take part in sin. So are you and I aware of and thankful for the blessings in our lives? Have you thought about it lately? Don't look at your neighbor's house. Don't look at that car down the street. Are you thankful for what God has given you? I'm working on my second degree black belt in, in Taekwondo. I don't know why. I, I just, I am. Anyways, I was with my, my, my teacher the other day and out of nowhere, it was probably because I was winded and I'm you know, hunched over trying to catch my breath, but out of nowhere, he said, Corey, you know, if the whole church thing fell apart, he goes, you are still a very, very rich man. He goes, look at your marriage, look at your children, look at the relationships you have. And I sat there and I was like, that's right. God, I, I have really been blessed. When is the last time you just really thought about the blessings in your life? Are we responsible stewards of our time and money? Do you know that ultimately everything you have is not yours? Did you know that? Your time is ultimately not yours. Your possessions and your money are ultimately not yours. Everything you have, it's because God has been so gracious to let you have it for a short period of time. We are stewards of it and we will be held accountable for how we've handled it. The temptation though is to become selfish. The temptation is to become materialistic and we just have to be aware of that. Can we say that we are generous people? If someone were to come up to you in the street and say, would you consider yourself a generous person? What would you say? And then if someone were to come up to you and say, can you give me a definition of generosity? What would your definition of generosity be? That's between you and the Lord. I told you in my life, my, my standard is like 10%. And then on top of that, my wife and I contribute to a couple of nonprofits. We support a couple of children overseas. That, that's just us. And that's, you know, to us, kind of the, the bar of generosity in our life. What is, what is the bar of generosity in your life? And would you say that you're a generous person? Are we sober-minded and alert? Sober-minded and alert. We're about to get into 1 Peter and in chapter five, it says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion looking to devour. Are we clear in our thought? Are we alert? Are we sober-minded? Do we even know what to be alert about? Do we even know to what, what to be watching out for? Do we know what we need to protect our family from? Do we even know? Are we using grace as an excuse to not live up to the standard God has for us? I'm gonna say it again. It's not biblically supported. Are we using grace as an excuse to continue living in sin or to not live up to the calling that God has for us in our life? Here's the last two things. And this is a trick. This is hard. Are we holding on to the truth? 
Are we holding on to the truth in a cultural barrage of lies? Are we holding on to what this book says, right? Do, do we know the nature of God? When we say we love God, if we love God, that means that we know God. We know the character and nature of God. And the only way to know the character and nature of God is through the word of God, right? You cannot detach the word of God from God. John chapter one, right? The word became flesh. They're connected, right? It's the same. And so if we say we love God, we have to know God. It's the only way to know the truth. And we have to be holding on to that truth. We have to be anchored, tethered. We cannot let go of this truth. And simultaneously, we have to do everything with love. This is the trick. This is the ultimate tension that I will not waver. I will not waver from what this book says, but I love you. I will love you even if you hate me. I will love God first and I will love you second, which is similar to the first Jesus said, but I cannot let go of this. Are we holding on to the truth? And are we loving, are we doing everything in love? Everything in love. Responsible, generous, holy, and on purpose. Responsible, generous, holy, and because you're not an accident, you live your life on purpose, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you are either not a Christian, really glad you're here if that's the case, or maybe you're a new Christian, but you have some questions. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Mike, who taught last weekend, he's right up here at the front. If you have any questions, we are not afraid of questions. We're not offended by questions. Please, anything, come up here and talk to Mike, okay? There are also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you have anything you need prayer for, I've said it several times today, you're not alone. Don't go at it alone. There are men and women up here. If you need prayer for anything, please let someone pray with you. The last thing is this, all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Communion is what we call that. Everyone is welcome to take communion if you have asked God to forgive you of your sins. Here's what I want you to think about as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. If you take communion today, here's what I want you to think about. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross just for your salvation. Jesus died for your restoration. Jesus died on the cross so we could live in a newness of life. We can live differently. We can live to the standard that God has called us to but we need to depend on him. We need to live in a relationship with him and God can change our lives. Father, Lord, I love you so much. God, I love this church. God, I love the people in this room. I pray, Lord, for every single person in here, God, that you would keep them safe. I pray for every married couple and every family in this room, God, that you would keep them safe. God, I pray for people's children that may be in the nurseries or in Echo or Eon, God, Lord, we pray that we can just uh, hold on to your truth firmly. That even if, even if we are persecuted, even if we are ridiculed, that we will not let go of the anchor of the word. We also pray that we can love people, God. It is difficult at times to love people right now. I pray that we can live people, love people that are diametrically opposed to us. I pray that we can love even those that hate us, God. I pray that we can pray for those that persecute us. I pray, God, that we can even give to those that steal from us, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you, and we need you desperately during these times. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.